I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And welcome to episode 35 of The List Makers, our Doctor Who show spin-off podcast where, as the title suggests, we make some lists. How are you, Rob? Dave, doing very well. Excellent. Our topic tonight comes from one of our listeners. We always love it when we get listener topics. Please do send them in Mm -hmm. via email or social media. This is from Peter in Retford, and it is Top 5 Classic Doctor Who, where episode 1 is excellent, but it goes sadly downhill after that. Yeah, thank you for this topic, Peter. It took a lot of thought. Yeah, when we first read this topic out last month, I thought, this won't be hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was hard. Rob, we'll crack into it. We'll make our lists. It's your turn to go first. But before we do, a bold prediction from me. Mm -hmm. I'm predicting no snaps this episode. None. None. Ooh, that's very bold. It is very bold. We'll see if I'm right. Why don't you make your list? All right, Dave. In at number five, I'm going with An Unearthly Child. And I'm putting this here at number five just to get it out of the way because I know I'm saying this in the face of fans who will go into bat for the three other episodes, the Tribe of Gum episodes, and they'll say, now, hang on a minute. This story's fine. Erwin, you're an imbecile. But I think between it being such a jarring change from the first episode to the next three in terms of the story and the fact a lot of fans do write off the other three episodes as not being very good and it's the literal granddaddy of the entire series i just think it needs to be noted here by at least one of us dave that in the view of many people including myself an unearthly child is a great first episode that then goes downhill i think many people dave wish the tardis went straight from coal hill to scarrow okay in at number four, I've got Time Flight. <laughs> and I might get some flack for this one too. But I encourage people to stick it on and watch it. We've got the aftermath of the death of Adric. We've got location filming inside Heathrow that looks quite good. We've got Davo grabbing the newspaper and looking up the cricket scores, being super doctorish. We've got the TARDIS team arrested and their unit credentials actually work for a change. We've got a mission to go on. We're going to do some science in Concord. We're actually on Concord. It's a real Concord. There's the goofy gag with Davo sliding into the TARDIS on his back. All of this is going on, and I'm like, wow, this first episode's quite okay. It's only in the last couple of minutes that we see a dodgy model shot, and then Anthony Anley starts doing whatever it is he's doing. But none of that kills the first episode. The first episode is solid. It falls apart in the next few episodes. Okay. In at number three, I've got Mark of the Rani. A slight cheat here, Dave. Well, not really. I'm going with the 25-minute episode version of this, as was shown in, and I looked this up, the USA, Canada, Germany, the United Arab Emirates, and, of course, here in Australia and New Zealand. And in that first 25 minutes, we have the location filming. We've got the experiments turning the workers mad. We've got the Industrial Revolution. We've got Luddites. We've got the Master lurking around to the extent that we think, well, this is a Master story. You know, the Master comes along, he blows away a dog, he shoots some blokes, all sorts of good stuff. But from there on, Dave, it's all brain fluid and dinosaur embryos and people being turned into trees. And it goes a bit off the tracks. No one calls this a great story of the Colin Baker era. Yet I'm here to say the first episode, the first 25 minutes at least, is absolutely on point and has you really hooked into the story. So I couldn't resist mentioning it here. In at number two, I've got Underworld. 
And I think this is a really good example. All the backstory reveals in the first episode, the Time Lords, they helped the minions and they were regarded as gods before the minions booted them out and the Time Lords turned non-interventionist. All this great backstory and the way it's told by intercutting between the minions detecting the sound of a TARDIS and the Doctor elsewhere on the ship telling Leela this story. Then we learn the minions can even regenerate their bodies although not quite like the Time Lords. All of this is great, Dave. A fabulous cliffhanger too with the ship attracting all the bits of rock and it starting to become the core of a planet. And I'll say this, while the rest of the story is almost universally regarded as crap, and it is crap, the idea behind the whole story is really quite interesting. It's just done very, very badly on screen. But the first episode, I think, is fabulous. Fair enough. And your number one, Rob? In at number one, Dave, I've got the web planet and I get some people say, oh my God, that's so slow. How can you say that's good? But I actually really like the first episode here. You know, although some Zabi creep around from time to time, it's largely just the Doctor, Ian, Barbara, Vicky having weird experiences. You know, Vicky's hearing things. The Doctor and Ian find all sorts of stuff outside the TARDIS. Barbara loses control of her arm and then her whole body... The whole thing is weird and it's creepy. It's a great episode to watch, actually, if you like this crew and you just want to see extended scenes of them interacting with each other. So compared to what it turns into, you know, something regarded as one of the worst Doctor Who stories of all time, especially from the classic era, I think the first episode really stands out as being okay in comparison to the rest of it. There we go. Mm. And before you jump in, I do want to say this is an interesting topic to unravel because do you pick a dog in general with the story but where the first episode is good in comparison or do you pick a story where the first episode is regarded as a dead set classic regardless of the rest but then you feel it's let down by what comes after? I think there are two ways to sort of tackle this and I had both examples in my list. Yeah, I, I think that's fair and I didn't quite take either approach. I just went with my gut. Okay. I, I went through the list of stories. I wrote a short list of about 10. And then I've just gone, what is my gut telling me should be on this list? And that's the list I have. So I'll dive in. At number five, I have not copied you, Rob, but I have used a similar cheat to yes. you. Because I'm going with Time Lash Part 1, the 25-minute version. No, really? Part 1. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Which, for viewers who have only seen the two-part version... I'm fairly confident the cliffhanger for the 25-minute one is where the TARDIS emerges up the time lash and the Bora does that. It seems the Doctor is paying us a return visit. Whee! So so that was it. And look, I have long said that I think the first half of time lash is a lot better than the second, and I think the first quarter is certainly the best work. You set up a authoritarian, sort of dystopian-type society. You get some intrigue going on. You get some brutality, you get the time lash concept introduced, and, and the concept is a good concept. You get all the stuff about the male and having to transfer power away from the hospital where his wife is, and conspiracies, and all that sort of thing. There's some intrigue going on, you get Paul Darrow introduced, you get a little bit of murder on the dance floor, and <laughs> I, I just sort of feel like there's a real build-up. After that, you then get puppet bandrels, and you get mm-hmm. the neck on a stick attacking Perry, and... Once Paul Darrow's dead, there's nothing to watch in the last quarter. So I actually do think that Time Lash Part 1 does stand up. Nice. Perhaps my most controversial one here on the list, Rob, but I said Mm -hmm. I'd go with my gut. 
Mm. Number four, I have Ghost Light. Every time I watch Ghost Light, every single time, I watch part one and I think, I am underselling this story. That was fantastic. It was spooky. It was intriguing. It's got a great guest cast. Everything's going on. I'm here for part two. And about 10 minutes into part two, I'm just going, what has happened? I don't know what's going on. Why have all these actors suddenly started going just a little bit too over the top? What? What? Why is, why is that happening? What's going? Mm-hmm. And then by part three, I'm just, so he wants to kill the Queen of England. What? <laughs> and I just think that it is not a case of a great part one and a terrible parts two and three, but I don't think it quite lands the level of tension and intrigue that it sets up. I can see that completely. Number three, I've gone for the Nightmare of Eden. Ah, fair, yep. We get two ships crashing into each other in hyperspace, one ship eating another. We get strange, creepy growls from the shadows and somebody who's been lacerated to death by great big claws. We get this concept of the CET machine, something that literally has on crystals inside and whole ecosystems just presented there. And all this stuff's going on. There could be drug smugglers. So many great plot ideas, some great Tom Baker lines. It's entertaining. It's intriguing. I can remember seeing this for the first time at the age of about 11 or 12 and being utterly stunned by how good this setup was and mm-hmm. how many cool ideas there were. We're on cool big spaceships. Rob, you know I like a big spaceship with <laughs> yes, gleaming do. metal and flashing lights. Then you see the mandrels and then you see the effects and then yeah, the actors yeah. just decide to start taking the piss and it all falls apart. It is an utter mess, but God, that first episode is actually pretty exciting. Great call. Number two is, in fact, a second Doctor story appropriately. And that is The Dominators. Interesting. Okay. Once again, you have this great setup. You have these aliens who arrive right in that first scene. The aliens are there. They're menacing. They're Dominators. They look pretty scary. They've got quarks. They, they can obliterate things. They do proper, like the, the graphics in uh, of the quark deaths in that first episode are pretty shocking. Mm. You've got the great TARDIS crew of the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe arriving. They explore. You've got the test island going on. It's all very interesting. It's all very intriguing. At the cliffhanger, you see the quarks. You, oh, that, that's interesting. And and again, it's not a classic, but there's some really interesting stuff set up. There's a good adventure going on. It all goes downhill from there. Once you get to the Dolcian capital, I'm on the side of the Dominators. and want to wipe out the Dolcians just as much as they do. <laughs> it's boring. There's lots of just... Oh, we'll stop the drilling. Oh, they're drilling. Oh, we'll stop the drilling. We're drilling again. Let's go back to the capital. Let's go back. It's, yeah. it's, it just sort of falls apart, but the opening is actually pretty cool. Cool. No snaps so far, Rob. No, there's not. Number one. Yeah. The web planet. Snap! Snap <laughs> and positional snap as well. Yes. We both have the same number one. That is a very rare snap. Yeah. I picked it for exactly the same reasons you did. Really? I have really strong memories of... Having this on audio cassette, having borrowed it from the local club's audio library, and Mm -hmm. lying there in my bed, listening to part one of The Web Planet, and just being absolutely amazed by what was going on. And when I saw the VHS copy, probably a few years after that, again, I was just amazed by this world. It looked alien. 
it was a little bit creepy. You had the Zabi, which were cool. You had this web thing that was cool. You had all the stuff with the pools of acid. There's this time taken to really explore a strange new world. Mm. And it just absolutely grips me every time I watch it. Yeah. And then, look, whilst I don't hate the web planet, it does get very slow and the ending is very, very tedious. So it does sort of fall apart. But but that that exploration of a strange new world is one of the things I love about 60s Doctor Who. So I absolutely think it's a great part one that is then let down. That is my list. It also has one of the greatest examples of Hartnell as Yoda you can ever hope to find. When he first goes outside the TARDIS, he's, he's doing his, <laughs> you know. Echoes, dear boy. Echoes. <laughs> yeah, it's great. He's loving it. Dave, before we go on, I, I did have some runners up from the modern series. I was pondering Extremis for this list thinking about how Pyramid at the End of the World and Lie of the Land went downhill in my memory, for sure. But I just didn't want to watch three episodes of Capaldi just to prove a point. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't So I didn't watch it. Uh, and also another Capaldi story, Under the Lake and Before the Flood. I remember Under the Lake being amazing and having that cliffhanger at the end where the Doctor's like a ghost with blank eyes. And it's like, where is this going to go? And then the second episode just went off in a completely different direction. And I, I remember feeling very let down by it. But again, I didn't rewatch it. So I didn't put it in my list. But they were sort of in my head as well. A couple of Capaldi episodes. Yeah, I did give the new series list a bit of a look through. Because I, like you, I thought, oh, let's just chuck t- 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 a couple of new ones in to discuss. And I really found it difficult to really, really call some things a part one and a part two. And that makes it tough. I think Extremis is actually a pretty good call. Uh, depending on how you classify some of those Capaldi episodes, like Heaven Sent, I think, is a fantastic, wonderful classic episode. Hellbent's yes. a bit of a disappointment. Are they really a part one and a part two? Or is Face the Raven part one of a three-parter there? Yeah. You can argue it either way. You can argue it either way. I had a couple of runners-up from the classic. I had The Claws of Axos. Yeah. I had yeah. Terminus. Yeah. And I had The Reign of Terror. Yeah, that's very fair. I also had Time Flight, which made your list. Yeah. Yeah. I actually popped it back on and rewatched it for the purpose of this episode. And I was loving, like, the film footage of them in the Heathrow Terminal and outside the terminal and all of that. And, and I love how the Doctor's unit credentials work. He gives them the details and then they're like, oh, yeah, you're this guy. Come on in. Join join the adventure. It's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a great story so far. But it just, oh, my God. Well, we all know it implodes. Yeah, so I was having a similar thought process to you and I was, I was very, very tempted to put it on my list. But then I thought, well, all the stuff with the Doctor on Concord is awesome. It goes downhill when they reach Jurassic England. Yeah. Unfortunately, that happens in part one. And there was just enough sort of wandering around that very empty set with one rock that <laughs> that was in part one that I thought, no, no, part one does. It, it goes downhill before the cliffhanger, so uh, can't quite do it. But but we were thinking very similar there. I fully expected you to have an unearthly child. And mm-hmm. look, I've got to say, Rob, I do believe you. I, I, I agree. The, the other episodes are fine, Erwin, you're an imbecile. <laughs> uh, I think that's the case, but I get where you're coming from. Uh, Underworld, I actually think part one's a bit rubbish as well. Uh, I, I get that it looks better than the other three, but that's because they look absolutely terrible. 
Does, does it not intrigue you, though, when they start throwing... Like in other Tom Baker stories, we get backstory about the Time Lords, like fighting the great vampires and stuff in State of Decay. And in this, we get the whole reason why the Time Lords turned non-interventionist. I find it fascinating to think about. To me, it's like mentioning the Clone Wars in A New Hope of Star Wars. You know, it just sparks all these ideas in your imagination. I think that that concept is a very cool concept. But when I watch Underworld Part 1, I just see a lot of actors acting in very strange ways. And, I mean, it literally opens with somebody dying of boredom. And I think that just sets up the episode very badly. (laughs) That is unfortunate. Before we started my list, I talked about, um, you know, having sort of two choices. Do you pick a story that's a dog where the first episode's good or do you pick a story where the first episode is truly regarded as genius? And I'll just mention that the two I was thinking of in particular on my list were Unearthly Child everyone regards that first episode as genius, you know, no matter what happens afterwards. And I think the flip side of that is probably the web planet where I'm picking a story that's regarded as, as just horrible. And I'm saying, yes, but in comparison, the first episode is actually pretty good, you know? So they're the sort of two extremes for me. Yeah. And I think it also does highlight that one of the great things about Doctor Who is that ability to go anywhere in time and space. And you can arrive somewhere as a writer, land the TARDIS there, create a strange concept, a strange planet, a strange situation, and and really sort of revel in that. But Mm. at some point you have to have a plot. And at some point you have to resolve that plot. Um, And that's, if anything, significantly harder. It's even the case. I'm reading a a new series adventure novel at the moment from the, uh, the Tenet era. And... It starts off with an interesting premise, but then it just it falls off a cliff, <laughs> you know, because I think they've had the big idea, but what are they going to do with it? They've got nothing. Absolutely. And, and there's a number of those docos out there where you hear people like Terrence Dix talking about, well, this person came to me with this great idea. And I said, that's a great idea. What happens next? And they've looked at me and gone, well, I don't know. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that is the case sometime. Interestingly, I just want to say, an incredibly even spread across the classic series. Uh, we've got something from every Doctor apart from Pertwee, I think. That's true. Yeah. So, so you know, this wasn't one where we've picked on the J&T era. It wasn't one we've picked on the 60s. It, it not, was actually pretty even. Not bad, Dave, not bad. And and maybe, maybe Terrence Dix did know what he was talking about when he told those writers, go away and get me an ending before you bring this back. <laughs> I think he did. I think he did. That was really fun. Uh, we thought about some really good stories. But, Rob, we are reaching our time mark. Yes. I will, therefore, reach into Turlo's Hat of Rassilon and drag out a topic. Rob, next month, we are mm-hmm. talking about top five mm-hmm. tear-jerker moments in Doctor Who. Oh, golly. Okay. We'll be talking all about the feels, Rob. Yeah, which isn't just confined to New Who. Oh, no. The first places I, my mind went when I picked that up, my, my Rorschach's test went straight to uh, straight to classic. I bet I know where it went to as well. Yeah, okay. It's Pertwee era. Probably, yes. <laughs> Knew it. Probably, yes. You know what, Rob? What's that, we didn't, we didn't mention the Space Museum. We didn't. I reckon... A lot of listeners will bet one of us would come for the Space Museum. I didn't because I think the whole of the Space Museum is rubbish. <laughs> there 
you go. There you go. All right, we've talked about that. Next month we'll be back with top five tearjerker moments. As always, give us feedback. Let us know what you think we missed, what you agreed with. We'd love to have these interactions with you, particularly on social media. But until next time, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we'll make some more lists next month. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you.